Okay, so welcome to the first official episode of Write Who You Know. I'm your host, Matt Hausfetter. I am a television and feature, but mostly television screenwriter living in Los Angeles, California. And I started this podcast because I found that writing, although done uh, in solitary and isolation, it's really a team sport, whether you're in a writer's room or you're calling on your friends to help you read a draft before you submit it to producers or whomever. I find that uh, it's like NASCAR, unless you have a really killer pit crew, you're going to spin out. And uh, with that in mind, one of the people that I find nearest and dearest to my heart is a screenwriter named Peter Knight. He's my first guest on our podcast. He is our co-showrunner on uh, our Amazon show Fairfax and truly couldn't have been a better guy to show us how it was done, uh, some things to do, some things not to do, and frankly, uh, an incredible coach. And we knew from the second that we interviewed him that he was going to be our showrunner. Um, and so, frankly, I, I mean, I guess I'll run down a little bit of his credits for you guys because it's important to know. He was the co-executive producer on six seasons of BoJack Horseman. He was basically Raphael Bob Waksberg's right-hand man that first few, those first few episodes, really helping get the show off the ground. But as Peter will tell you, it was really all Raphael needed. Um, and he has worked on uh, 1600 Pen, I believe. He's also worked on Enlisted. Uh, he created Big Wolf on Campus, uh, Crodman Dune, and he's just an all-around amazing person and human being. So without further ado, this is the first true episode of Write Who You Know with my dear friend and screenwriter, Peter Knight. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and give some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. You got to, do you need to be right on the, not really. I just, I like to be like, I'm Robin mm -hmm. Quivers. Mm -hmm. You know, I really do like talking like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> You're I, a natch. You got the Larry King elbow. Honestly, I should, I, this is, I think like this is going to be my segue to having a talk show. Like uh -huh. truly that's what my ultimate hope is that I get a huge fame <laughs> and following. And they're like, when Jimmy Fallon retires, House fetter should take up the mantle. Hmm. Mm hmm. Dream, baby. It is my it, it is my dream, truly, to like host the Tonight Show. I don't know why. I just like I think it would be fun, and I think I'm able to be funniest like with like I don't want to go do stand up alone on a stage, but mm -hmm. if I get to talk to Zoe Deutsch about oh, let me do mm -hmm. shtick and banter about your latest comedy, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like do you, do you feel like um. Uh, do you feel like a late night talk show is in some way like a valid format that must exist? Or do you think that you like what I'm talking about is, you know, Johnny Rotten, John Lydon mm -hmm. said he refers to uh, like Green Day and Blink as as genre bands, mm -hmm. you know, so like and in a sense, because mostly it was like Carson and then Carson was kind of pulling from Steve Allen and Jack Parr. But that then then it was Letterman pulling from then Conan from Letterman. And then I think we sort of gotten to this point where it's like, there are some people that do it really well. Jimmy Kimmel is great. And, yeah. you know, and obviously the shows are successful and they sort of still do. But is there, is that format sacred? Is that, for, does the format, does the thing that is the late night talk show, is that an important thing right now? To me, to me, yes. Like the answer is to most people, probably not. But to me, who I am like, I grew up watching Conan and even Jay Leno. Like when mm. Jay would do headlines with Kevin Eubanks and the Tonight Show, bam! Like I was there every fucking night in high school watching Jay and Conan. And I think like they're great. Um, and I even saw Howie Mandel like rip the comedy store recently and it was like incredible. Uh, so yeah, I think it's like, it's like the Johnny Carson. It's a storied, it's like getting to be on Saturday Night Live, you know? Like, yeah, is Saturday Night Live like culturally the most like on the pulse? No, it's anymore? such a legacy product that, yeah. it, that it's like you, you couldn't, yeah. Yeah, but I dig it, and like, I think that would be just a, an amazing, an amazing I, job. I noticed that when, when pretty much I watched those late night shows religiously from you know junior high into, and then by college. But after college, I was kind of like I I would catch it periodically, and then I had a little like when you're sort of doing midnight feedings, and you're like, all right, let's see what you know, let's watch the monologue here. 
but now I catch it on, I catch it in clips. Like if somebody links to like, Oh yeah. yeah. You know, here's a closer look. Seth Meyers last night, you got to take a look at, you know, like, like I'll catch it that way. And I, and I like it, but it's, but it's almost like, that's not that, 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 that's sort of the tale of something. Yeah. And, and I wonder what is the, you know, if, if there were no Carson, like, like, you know, like kill the gods, it's over, <laughs> you know, like, what do you do? What do you do after, uh, the person at a desk show? That's a great question. I mean, the variety, the, the, I think like, I just like, you got to fill time, you know, <laughs> like after the news or before the news, uh, but do you have to fill time? I mean, is that still an uh, important thing? I don't, I mean, advertisers still believe that's where the most eyeballs are, are on network television. Why? Well, I know maybe, that movie, maybe that, maybe I know that they feel true. like there's nothing like getting your charismatic movie star, you know, with your charismatic host and then hope the sparks fly. And then you, then somebody puts the link out and that's, but, but I think the, it's like the, and I'm sure they slave over the ratings and look mm -hmm. at every, every tick and bump and moment within the show. I don't even have, I feel like I don't even have the, I'm like, do I know what it is anymore? Like I, I, I was just saying before, like all that like TikTok shit and like, that's even too old for me. Like Instagram is where I like tap out and I'm like, I'm done. Like I'm not doing, I'm not doing synchronized dances with my friends. Is that acceptable? Like, like, and I mean, that is that acceptable in that if you do, if you make that choice, I've made the same choice. I made the choice of Instagram. I couldn't do Instagram yeah, anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you make the choice that TikTok doesn't count, then there's going to be a generation of, of uh, people that you would, you know, hopefully become the people that you are trying to yeah. reach through your stuff that you, you don't, you you chose 20 years ago to not speak their language. Yeah. Like if, I guess like if I became let's say I did end up posting the tonight show. I could see how it'd be valid and, and like help my brand to have a TikTok. It's just like, I don't have time to produce TikToks. Like I just, there's That's no, it's okay. You know, you don't have to, there are lots of people doing it. I know. I and know. people care about them. I know, but it's like more that, than they care about people who don't have time to do the TikTok. But does that make me like, Oh, okay. Go to bed gramps. Like you don't want to do TikTok. Like if you're not with it, it's like, it, it might, you have to be prepared for it. it. It might mean that it might not. I mean, you're, you're young to be gramps and, uh, but, but it might mean like, you have to accept the one reason, you know, talking about stand up, you know, and, and I've never done stand up, and, uh, and it's not that I'm not funny here and there, or I can't do a decent voice or, you know, but like, I, I have to look at it from the standpoint of, I don't seek out stand up. I, I rarely go to a stand up club. I watch a special when it's like, okay, Chappelle's news, you know, like, yeah. or, or something big that you, that, that you've heard mm. about, you want to see, or your favorite, you know, if Pat and Oswald does like Neil Brennan, but like the, by and large, I'm not watching stand up. I'm not seeking out standing stand up. And so I kind of go, so am I the person that should be like, I should do stand up? And I sometimes think that with, with, you know, novels, like I should write a novel. Yeah. I'm like, how many novels do you read a year, Ace? Like what, you know, is it, is it that I've read through them all and I know I can, you know, whereas like TV writing, I kind of feel like, no, that's where I, you know, it's so funny. The reason I'm doing this podcast was because I had a crisis after Fairfax and, and like, I'm going to end, end up writing like a movie or a series about like, you finally get your big break to make this big piece of art and it's a fucking failure. And like, how do you find the inspiration? Yep. How do you find the inspiration to create again? Um, and that's why I started this podcast because it was like, you know, all of the people in all the rooms that I want to be in, like you have to be like a stand-up comedian or like a John Mulaney's best friend or like, mm -hmm. you know, went to shul with Nick Kroll. <laughs> like, I feel like there are these guys that like, I'll never get in those rooms because I didn't do Groundlings or UCB like in my early 20s or mm -hmm. like I didn't do stand up. And so like, what else can I do that's performative that I like doing? Like it was it was a podcast. Like and I know that makes me want to like kill myself when I'm like, oh, I'm starting a fucking podcast. Like even the night when I went to Guitar Center to buy this shit and the guy's like, you starting a podcast. I was like, God damn it. No, but you know, it's this is a it's 2012. This is a great time to start it. <laughs> um, so I totally understand the impulse. People might say that you're late here in 2012. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't think you are, uh, no, the, the, yeah, you start, I mean, do what, uh, like, honest to God, the one thing that I know is that you can't get satisfaction from the business. Like, yeah. and, and proof of that is that like, there are things that, uh, you know, uh, that, that fucking Brad Pitt wants to make and you know, that, 
that X, the, the Tom Cruise, whoever the biggest stars are, I don't even think they're the big stars anymore, but like yeah. there are people that are frustrated by their inability to, to make the thing that they're totally ready to go. And it just goes that way down the chain. And yes, every now and then you get to pass through a doorway that allows you the brief taste of satisfaction. But what you're talking about where, you know, you're, you had the key, like I, the way that you feel about Fairfax, not only did I feel it with you, you know, to, right to the side yeah. of you, I felt it so hard with Crot. Like mm -hmm. I thought that I'd written this script, you know, people were crazy about the script. They're, you know, telling me, you know, and I, and I just like, I look at it and I know that there are parts of it that I love, but I know that there are parts of it that are like, that didn't quite, that wasn't quite what I wanted. And it, it, it was as if it never happened anyway. Um, and I was so ready for it to sort of be like a major, major thing. And it just wasn't. Yeah. And, and the, 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 what I, I'll tell you something that, that I still listen to when I think about that is, is uh, rise of the Phoenix tenacious D mm. that song literally has made me feel like I could. Okay. I got to listen to it. Let's, let's, let's put the fucking gear on again and get back in. And like, I got to listen to that. I don't, I don't know it. Unfortunately. Oh, I mean, it's, it's like, it truly it truly has uplifted me. And it's also funny. I mean, it's, it's incredibly funny, but it's uplifting. Okay. I'll check it out. And I'll it, and it, it speaks to that when the pick of destiny was released, it was a bomb and all the <laughs> critics said the D was done. Yep. The sun had set the chapter had closed, but one thing no one thought about was the D would rise again. That's true. So, yeah. And like the way that I, I know this is so madhouse fetter of me, but the only way that I was able to put it in words, I think, to my wife when, when I had the realization was I went, oh, my God, no doubt put out two records before Tragic Kingdom, mm -hmm. you know? And everyone was like, this is your last shot it's, or it's over. It's mm -hmm. over for you. And, like, sure as fucking shit, they made an amazing record. And so you could use any band as, you know, swapping them for no doubt. But... I just got to keep creating shit and I just got to mm -hmm. keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and spinning plates and doing what I do. Cause like the answer is where do I want to be? Like when Kelsey asked me, like, if you had a magic wand, like what would you do? It'd be like be in a fucking writer's room. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's become impossible to get back into a writer's room in traditional staffing ways. And you got to create your own stuff for the most part. Uh, and I do that and I love it, but it takes like years. And mm -hmm. so in the in-between time, in between like, like I'm currently negotiating something, but I'm not going to get paid on it for like nine months. It's an if come deal. Yeah. And, um, you know, by the but time the, are the, are the lawyers that are working on the deal, are they in, in, um, solidarity with you not taking paychecks for their work? Will they mean? work out the deal? Well, they're, they're going to do <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm I know, everybody I gets paid. Thought about it. Everybody, the more people there are, the slower it can go. Yeah. Yeah. So that there, so that the money can get to the right yeah. people and you yeah. Know. Um, but I think, you know, Peter, the reason I started this podcast and, and what people out in podcast land, like want to know, um, is how do you become a, like a professional writer? Because to me, that was, I was always like, okay, so like, how can someone tell me like, how do I get an agent? How do I get a manager? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not asking you like all that stuff, but what I'm curious about is like, when did you first realize like, oh, I like, this is what I want to do mm -hmm. and I can do this. And like, there may be a way that I can do this for the rest of my life. Um, Okay. So it, it, it definitely goes back to, it goes back a, a long time in, in my life, but like a lot of things, it's more like I look back and I see it rather than I knew it at the time. But, um, so when I was, and I said, I've, I've asked that, like, you know, I've spoken to, to groups of like, you know, second graders to say, you know, what does a writer do? And I yeah. say, okay, I'm going to give you the two I'm going to give you the broad, the most general example of what I do. And then I'm going to give you the most specific. And I said, the most general is that you might think that writing involves putting letters on a page, but I used to play with action figures and I would just make these scenes and I would just kind of have dialogue coming and, and I wouldn't even say it out loud, but I would just like this one saying this, this one flies and you know, you make your little scenes. And I had a, a lock on my door and I did it from the time I was probably like five and then until a little bit after you would, just, that was kind of normal. So I really would lock my door and I wasn't doing anything else, you know, yeah. but, but I, and that, you know, and I realized that was writing and I, I didn't, I, it was years later that I realized that was writing, but I always liked that. It wasn't just the, do you want to, do you want to, you know, ride the bikes? It was like, no, let's build the, the jump so that you can kind of have, you know, like make the little extra thing. And I loved the feeling of like, 
collaborating on like, what if, like we, you know, what if we did this? What if, what if this was the thing, or, you know, what you should have said, or like that, that kind of thing. So that was always really alive in me. But then I thought that what I liked about the movies and TV shows that I liked was the people. I thought that it was like, you know, watching Silver Spoons, I was like, Jason Bateman has, has guessed. And I was like, that fucking guy right there. That guy's my guy. I like that guy. I'm watching him on the Hogan's. I watched before the Hogan's uh, and whatever that Valerie's, you know, it was uh, It's Your Move, which was a fucking great show. Wisecracking kid. I was like, that guy, it's that guy. But then I got to realize you'd sometimes go to see somebody. I also love John Cusack and you mm. see John Cusack in something that wasn't quite right. And you're like, I, maybe I thought I loved that, you know, he, like in a political thriller and you're like, huh, yeah. perfectly good and everything, but it was like, like Con Air, just like that. Just off the top <laughs> of my dome, you're like, why are you in this? Yeah, you know, and, you're, <laughs> and, and so you're kind of like, no, maybe it's not that. So then I remembered it was talking about the Simpsons and I had known the Matt Groening life in hell. And it was the first time I'd heard the people talking about a writer's room. And, and you just kind of like, just in the chat, there was no internet, there was no internet that I was digging into in, yeah. when I was in college in 19, graduated in 93. But, but you were just starting to hear the term writer's room. And you're kind of like, wait. And so then you'd hear about the Harvard Lampoon and I would go and read the Harvard Lampoon at Trinity College, go Bants, uh, in the library and be like, either this is so loaded with inside jokes that it's, that it's, you know, only for the, or it's not funny. And then you look and you're like, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's crazy to think that this is like beatable in some way. If you were like, I, I wanted to yeah. sort of jump into this yeah. space. Yeah. And then, so, so I was, then I got an, I got an intern, I graduated, got an internship at, at um, an advertising agency, which is my dad had been in advertising. He didn't set me up with that, but it was just like, I thought that was like a path that maybe I should do. Yeah. But I, but then I realized that's the more I was hearing, watching the Simpsons and Larry Sanders and all these great shows were exploding Seinfeld uh, you know, um, uh, Frazier, yep. you know, just, just like very writerly shows that, that brought the writing forward. And it was right then that I was graduating with no real idea of what I wanted to do when I was like, Oh wait, there are these writers rooms. And so then I just started writing. I just started writing scripts and I wrote them like on legal pads and just wrote them fast. And like, here's a Simpsons, you know? And I, and I had a friend that I, that I was doing it with for a minute, but then I just kind of kept, I kept doing it because, and then I talked to, then I, then my, my brother knew a girl that was the talent booker and he didn't know her very well, but at the talent booker, Conan O'Brien. And she said, there's a, there's a writer here who's super nice. And, and maybe he could talk to your brother, you know, like it was that guy. So I, I went down from my inter by that time I was not doing an internship. And I were had. you living in LA? No, I was living in my parents in Connecticut and commuting into New York. Oh, was Conan in New York back then? Yeah. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. And, uh, and so then I, I go down to a payphone at the scheduled time. I talked to Marsh McCall, rest in peace, Marsh McCall. He's, he's no longer with us. He, he died quite young, um, about maybe five or six years ago. Um, but he, he said, listen, if you want to be in television, there's there, it seems like there are jobs in New York because there's a handful, but it's, you've got to be, it's a satellite situation and you've got to be in LA. So I moved, uh, like I drove out six weeks later. Wow. And I happened to have a friend whose dad was living in a two bedroom, not probably not far from here, Blue Jay Way, just off of Blue Jay Way, this awesome two bedroom house that had a back room that was like the maid's quarters. And I, I stayed there for four months and I didn't have any, you know, barely any bills. I had, it was rice and beans, you know, and almost no expenses and, you know, just kind of like uh, writing all the time, just perpetually yeah. turning out like, and it was all, it was like, I'd write a Frasier and then I'd write another Frasier. Cause somebody told me, you know, specs are what you need. Yeah. So, so I started, you know, doing all that. And, um, and then I started PAing on a, after that, on a, on the, the Tony Danza sitcom Hudson street. I oh, was yeah. a PA on the Shout pilot. Out to Tony Danza. Shout out. That was a, that's a, that was, that was a 94, I think. And then, um, then I, then I, that PA carried on to another couple of PAs before they were stars with Mike Fleiss, TV legend, mm. bachelor producer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but it, but on, on some of his early stuff. So, so it was doing that, that I had, um, uh, I, I was taught, I brought in a friend to work on the, on the show that I was working on to, as a researcher and he and I would stay late and I would always stay late working on the scripts. And I was kind of thinking like, what's the next script? And we, we had a funny thing where we, uh, I'll say it, we both had, had had crabs in our, in our, uh, adventures and the, the shame and the discovery. And the, it was the funniest story I'd ever heard him tell his, my story was the fun. And so we wrote a friends 
where uh called the one with the crabs oh that's great and uh and we wrote it fast and then we took my frasers and we put it put some new jokes in and we signed with chris silberman icm at icm now broder curland broder curland back in the day shout out to curland (laughs) shout out to jeffrey (laughs) um so that was that was our first agent and and the the guy who um mark bombeck uh, had, was a friend of Chris's at Wesleyan. So I, I, uh, go Cardinals. I kind of tapped into the Wesleyan through my writing partner, Chris Briggs. And, um, and then we thought we were, and, and we got to work on a Jason Bateman pilot and we, we absolutely fucked up in the, in the, in the writing, in the, in the punch up room. So it was, you know, it was, there were just kind of a couple of moments where Chris, like he, he pitched the same joke three times. I didn't remember that, but I, I do remember sort of taking a, like an attitude about there was a, the character was an architect and there was an architectural digest. And I was like, ah, that's really kind of a more of a home decor mag. Do you want me to find out what a, you know, like, and just kind of like, and these guys are like, who the fuck are you were trying to make a pilot? And Jim, Jim Burrow's directing. Um, but that, Did so the neighborhood, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, but then, uh, then we, then sort of like we didn't, then Chris Silverman who had signed us the only time I've signed papers, you know, he'd gotten us there with, we meet Jim Burroughs and we meet Bob Broder that night. And you, you're kind of feeling like it's NBC and it's like, wow, it's really about to, like, it's about to happen. And we just kind of underperformed in that room and they just, you know, let, oh, didn't, no. didn't follow up. And so suddenly calls that we put into Chris Silverman are being returned by another agent. Mm. Uh, she's since left the biz. I won't say her mm-hmm. name. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the, the, it, that that thing happens so fast and then suddenly we get a you want to you want to i don't know can you hear that i know you can let me see i don't know if it's picking it up on the old uh on the old viola here real unprofessional got a dog barking i don't mind you know this is episode one we'll take it easy so you were saying chris silberman <laughs> <laughs> so so then um the first the first job meeting we got was on sweet valley high yeah and i had uh, chris briggs my partner Um, he really was not, he was not like me determined to be a TV writer. Like he, this was just kind of like, I, I kind of brought him in on a lark in a sense, you know, by, by Mm. talking about this friends thing and be like, we should do this. And like, now we're partners and he was into it, but it was, you know, once it was sweet Valley high, he was always going like, wait, this is trash. And I'm thinking this is the great, you know, like, this is amazing. We're going to, and it's not that the show was, was so great, but, um, the experience was pretty amazing because in a very short period of time, we were, it was season four and, um, the, uh, the episode order was 22. Wow. And so we wrote six episodes, six or seven episodes of sweet Valley high in the span of our first seven months in, in show business. That was amazing. And our showrunner, we really connected with her. Abby Charette is her name. She also lives around here now. Um, lady of the Canyon. It's, it, I can't remember what canyon is, but I think it is Laura. I think if you went down, it's, it's, uh, it's, this is the one. Anyway, um, that was, so, and then she was going on to another show that Saban was doing, um, which was Breaker High, which was 44 episodes ordered. Shouts to Haim Saban. Uh, shouts to Haim Saban. You know, Breaker High featuring, I'm going to start, I'm going to start at the low, the lower end of Tyler Labine, a big TV star, but also Ryan Gosling. Oh, wow. Might've heard of him. I have. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they were they were uh, breaker high guys, uh, and the, and Tyler and and uh, and uh, uh, what did what did I just say? Right, Gosling, Gosling, Gosling. Tyler and Gosling were were best buds on the show, and gotcha. they and I think they they stayed friends after. Anyway, um, so while we're doing breaker high and that kind of stuff, Chris, my much more enterprising, much more. Uh, mogul minded than I am was like, if we're going to be doing this stuff, we should at least pitch our own things. And so we're like, okay. Cause, cause Saban was about to buy the family channel, mm. uh, from the Christian broadcasting people and with, and with Fox, it was like a, you know, t- a joint venture with them. And so Chris was like, they're, they're going to need programming. We have their, their number one showrunner was Abby. She ran, they ran, she ran several things for them. And, and we knew Lance Robbins, who was the executive. And so Chris was just like, he just saw it. He was like, we'll just get in there. And so we did. And I thought, we thought that pitching was kind of like single space, you know, 
10 single spaced ideas and like, you know, just kind of like this one, you know, this yeah. one, this one. And then we go, um, we had a, then, then we also had a couple of spitballs. Like, so we had like 10 show ideas yeah. ready and they're all, I know I remember some of them and for my own benefit, I'm not going to say what they are because yep. I'd be too embarrassed, but, but uh, you know, of the spitballs, one of them was uh, Buffy light with a male werewolf. And so they go, come back and what is this? Come, come back and tell us about this one. And so we just kind of, you know, cook it up and, and we, we, you know, have this, this take up. We love the movie, my bodyguard, which had sort of like, a, I know that movie very well with peaches yeah, we, and so, Matt Dillon. So exactly, exactly. Love that movie and kind of thought like that, you know, a little bit of that, like tough guy and the, and the, the, the goth nerd in this case, um, make them a team. And, uh, and then, and they were walking down the hall and we were like, what are we going to call it? And we're like, ah, you know, and I said, big wolf on campus, but I hate that. He goes, no, no, well, that's, but that it just, we'll just say that. And then, you know, we'll change it. We of course never changed it, but they did say, they said, we love this. We want to do it, but we're going to get the rights to team wolf, you know, sort of like, okay, so that's what it'll be called. And then like a day later, they're like, we're not doing the rights to team wolf. We love big wolf on campus. Let's go. You know? Wow. Um, and that uh, was, was that your first original sale? Yeah. Yeah. And then we sold another pilot at the same time. Did you feel like you like won the lottery a little bit? Like that you were like, like, not just like in terms of like, Oh, I got paid for this thing, but like I'm in LA, I'm selling shows. I'm on a staff. I fucking have an agent. I made it. I, I didn't only because I, I really sensed that we were not on the network track. Like, like I knew some people that were on the net, like, like just a guy that I would sometimes play basketball with was, was Will Gluck. Mm. And he like got into the network track really fast. And it was like, I would always look at that and be like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's killing it. Like, and even, you know, we were on Sweet Valley High and I, you know, that was long stretches of, of work, you know, 22 episodes into a 44 episode, like Jesus. certain amount of time. And, and we got to go to Vancouver, um, you know, just to like do the visit, the sets and stuff like that. Um, so it was, it was amazing and still like, you know, 27. Um, so I, it wasn't that I felt like I'd hit the lotto, but my aspirations were so low in the beginning. It was, they were so high, which are, I wanted to just have written by me, like see my name on a written by credit. Yeah. That was my goal yep. and got there within like two and a half years of moving out and then didn't really recalibrate. And then it was kind of like my partner going like, well, let's, let's go. But I really sensed that we were on his steam, you know, like the opportunity didn't come from we weren't handed a golden opportunity. It was still going to be like this crazy uphill slog. And it was, yeah. and we got there and there was a lot of bullshit that we had to deal with. And I think a, a lot of it was just kind of like, we'd only been staff writers yep. and now we were, you know, the, the creators and, and, but like, you know, we had a, we had a saboteur uh, and my, my partner said, either you fire that guy after we sort of found him out and, you know, like, like, Put, put him on blast with, with e back in the day, there were memos mm. and Lance Robbins used to write over the top of memos. And so I started, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I, I just called him out in this memo chain, put it into circulation through the assistant and, and, you know, sort of was ready to go to war. And so was my partner, but they said either Chris said, you get rid of that guy or, you know, or I'm gone. And they're like, goodbye. Really? Yeah. And they never changed my contract because I did, because we, we'd, we'd fired, like we were going to Montreal and we just couldn't get Chris Silverman to return our calls. And I, and I remember calling him from the century city mall. It was like pre you definitely had a cell phone days. Yeah. And I was like, we're, we're about to go run a show. And you know, like, you know, we can't get your attention. He's like, sorry, but you want me to make some calls to some other agents around town? I was like, no, I, okay. Then I think we're, you know, so we're, we're, you know, like th this is, th so you're not my agent. So this, yeah. And it was kind of like, so you're not my, and he's like, okay, you know, do you want me to call anybody to, you know, on your behalf? I'm like, no, I, I wanted you to do that. You know, but I understand how that we, his clients that, that had brought us in that we then let down on their, yeah. their show. I understand that was the, that, that was what did it for us. But, um, but so then we go up there, I don't have an eight. So they're like, oh, he doesn't even, doesn't even have a lawyer to never, you know, so I kind of got boned on that first, that first, the second half of that deal, because we had, there was no staff. All the scripts were written uh, by freelance. So you would, you know, you would kind of like try to give people a sense of the show and then, then, you know, help break the, break a story yeah. with them and outline would come in and you'd be like, oh, no, that this is not, you know, yeah. and you try and rework that. 
And then eventually they had us, they, there was a little money. We got to bring some people up, but I would like, I'd put people up on my couch. That's fucking crazy. And fly in my own airline miles. I'd be like, come to Montreal. We'll break your story. I'll get you a script, you know, and got to work with some writers that I absolutely love to this day. Um, Dan Copeman is one this, you know, uh, he, he went on to Malcolm and a lot of the, a lot of the, the big wolf writers went on to great things well before I went on to anything good. And like Malcolm and, uh, Jonathan Goldstein um, mm-hmm. it, it, and um, uh, Shipley and Bernstein, they did My Name is Earl mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. And, and um, uh, Rick Nyholm went on to all, the full run of Lopez. And, uh, quite, you know, quite a few people with, like, with credits that I would have killed for. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but it, was, it was tough. It was, it was, it was and, and we also did it, you've now been through, you know, a production cycle. We did it uh, with one week at Christmas. The whole season, 22 episodes, one week at Christmas that's, for a hiatus. That's nuts. And we shot two at a time. Did you ever, have to sh- did you ever go how, six day weeks? You would shoot, no, you'd shoot five, five and three. Mm. But over a two week period, you'd sh- shoot five and three. But, but in those eight days, you would shoot two episodes. Wow cross-boarded so if it's in matt's office you know like you're and and in the beginning they wanted us to go within setup so they're like no while that while the camera's this way we're gonna go to a different episode that's crazy um and we we didn't do that but we did we'd always would shoot out the locations and you know and it was just this it was amazing it was amazing time of my life being in montreal it was the hardest thing but it was also i remember driving to work one day where you know i would be there about nine in the morning and i was usually there till one and I had no, I didn't have any, there was no thing to get home to. I didn't have a, it was just like do or die. I didn't question why I was doing it. I was just kind of like, all right, I guess just make this show. But then I remember driving in one day and I was like, it's so hard. And I, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm literally working as hard as I can. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to slack off. Like I've got, we've got another six weeks until, you know, so I'm going to work as hard as I can. And that's going to be enough. And, you know, like, like that's going, that, that Dayenu, be, as the Jews say, do you know that? That's a, I, it should have been enough. It would have been enough. Dayenu. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I've probably heard that, but I don't, I don't know enough. It, it was just that moment where I was like, I'm not going to also be mad at myself for letting something slip through the cracks when I'm already, you know, way overtaxed and, and, you know, and then the second season, it got a little bit easier. And then by the third season, we got rid of the saboteur because I, I found a line item mm. uh, when they were trying, you know, there was going to be budget cuts. And I was like, I have a line item that you can, and you know, and then, so then the third, then my partner came back for Chris came back for the third season. So, nice. Um, yeah. That's was, awesome. It's like yeah. Howard Stern bringing Robin Quivers back, you know, was she ever gone? Remember in private parts? Like, Oh, 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 in the early, pig early vomit days. fucking uh-huh. fires her uh-huh. instead of Stern. Stern, you are the motherfucker man to Christ. Um, yeah, I, it's so interesting that like writers put such big import or like writers that aren't writers officially yet, like getting your agent is such like a big important deal. Mm-hmm. And I think it might have been at one point, but like it's not. And I truly feel like having a lawyer is so much more important mm-hmm. than having an agent. Um, not that we have to talk about that, but I just I feel like. Uh, well, it is it is for for the longest time, the piece of advice that I gave, you know, when, when I would meet a a younger writer, when they're like, you know, and they're trying to figure out how to do, and it's like, okay, if you want to just kind of like prioritize the rocks, the biggest rock in front of you is getting an agent. That's your job. So every single day you should be thinking about how do you get an agent? Yeah. And that should only begin when you know you have material that's bulletproof. Yeah. And until then work until work on your getting your material bulletproof. If your material is bulletproof, then you have one job and that's finding the agent and and I don't know. I mean, as I told you guys when we were doing Fairfax, I fully believe in reading the script. Like, read a stack of scripts. Everything that you will find, like, think about how many cases where what we had in the script was exactly what we got in the room and how, how, how fully it translated into, like, kind of what their capabilities were, what their strengths were, where are the areas where you know this was going to be good. Yeah. Like, it all is borne out. And so, I think that too many people try to get by without reading, you know, as uh, there's a Bojack line, I think of Raphael's that was like that Hollywood, it's a town where people hate reading so much. They pay other people to do it for them. (laughs) 
Um, it's true. So, you know, and it is like, but, but there is no better test to find out what kind of writer you are hiring, not whether your, your friend is funny because your friend can definitely be funny. But when it's, when you need a script to come in with some powerful guffaws that are well set up in a perfect context and that have, you know, the right little bits of, you know, magic that make a scene work and make it all work on the page. That's the magic. The, the being casually funny, leave that to uncle Jeff, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like being casually funny is fantastic. And it's a, it's a great trait, but being focusedly funny and making it happen in particularly in a comedy, but it's, I'm sure it's the same in a, in a drama where the, you're just, if it's on the page, that's your person. That's uh, it's funny you say that because that brings me to the reason uh, we hired you on Fairfax because you had the best script truly like, and we had every reason to be like, nah, we don't need another white guy in this mm. mix. But your script was so fucking undeniable that we all had to just deal with how uh, how good it was. And oh, uh, God bless you. Um, and I think, I think you're ta- just so it's said, I think you're talking about Barry American. I am talking about yeah. Barry American. Um, and I think that when I'm hiring, like even now, like, you know, I have a couple projects in development and some of them, like, I'm just going to produce because I shouldn't be writing these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and in all of them, all we're doing is like, who's the best writer? Like who makes, like, we always talk about the voice, like bang, turn your chair around. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I think if you can't not write the script, like you can't do the job I'm hiring you for, Mm -hmm. you know? Like mm-hmm. I need you to be able to write a script because you're going to go home with whatever was on the whiteboard or on the fucking Miro if you're in the yeah. Zoom room and you're going to have to turn that into a 30 something page script, yeah. you know? And like, I need you to do that because other trains are on the track. And if yours gets off, then that sets off everything. It's terrible. Yeah. What can happen? That is where the, <clears throat> that is the stomach ache of, of, you know, show running because when you, every writer, especially the ones before, you know, in, in the, period before their prose they're, they're very focused on your precious baby you know your your one baby yeah but you have to remember that, that it's in network it's one of 22 yeah and that, that the baby's out of your arms and it's like oh no it's in post your baby's in post yeah like like if you want to yeah. you know if you, if you want reshoots on your baby you know uh then it's going to cost you and you're not going to your your other baby is going to not you know not have this and and the like that that scaling of it happens so fast and happens in like a dizzying way that that I think is, that's the greatest period of acclamation, you know, and in the old, like what, I mean, that's what you have to be ready for the most. Yeah. Um, and I think in the, in the old system where there were lots of shows doing 22. And so somebody had, you know, they'd been two years a staff writer and now they're a co-producer and, you know, gradually mm-hmm. sort of the, the, the scope of what they take on goes, but now you've got these tiny runways of, you know, six six episodes and mini rooms and and it's it, it does not lend itself to um those people that that need just a minute to acclimate yeah. just yeah. just a just a, a yeah. minute i think the answer is just like bigger writers rooms for all these things like six episodes i'm like what no like it's like unless you unless you come in and you're like you know some auteur and you're like i need to tell the story in six episodes uh-huh. six only and that's it you know (laughs) this is the nick and we need eight episode two seasons two seasons you know whatever um i think 22 is not feasible and like i i I truly saw at the time you know one of my bosses the the showrunner revenge basically told like one of the presidents of abc like halfway into season two of making the show like this is not tenable like i don't know how anyone is making these 22 episode like hour long Mm -hmm. and like people thought he was insane this was back in like 2014 or 2013 like a the gall of you to say mm-hmm. that because you're basically being like cut my order i can't handle it mm-hmm. but b yeah nobody says that <laughs> but b like he saw the future of television like we mm-hmm. all look i look back at that moment when he said that to whoever was running abc at the time and there was like a you know the executive producers of the show like looked at each other like did he just he literally just like asked him to cut his order because he can't hack it and the truth was like he was just having an honest moment being like this is untenable with a 22 one hour long order and everything is just happening all at once. And I need to be in the room and on set mm-hmm. and, and writing scripts all at the same time. And he's one man. And like we made Fairfax with four people yeah. and it still seemed like, how the fuck are we going to do all this? So, uh, all that to say, uh, I don't, I really, uh, the, the amount of episodes that is feels the best to me is 12 because 22 empty spaces on your wall 
as the Canadian winter sets in, gives me nightmares that, that like, <laughs> you know, uh, while you're like, uh, th- this, we're going to do with this. And you know, you're just, yeah. you're just looking, but 12, uh, and it was also, I mean, Bojack was a 12 episode season. And I just remember at the beginning of, of seasons when Raphael would just have that, we'd have the 12 empty boxes and watching him work in that, in that, in, in the medium of the 12 empty boxes was it really had a masterful feeling. Cause he would just kind of zip around and he always had that sense of like the finale was if it's 12 episodes, the finale is 11 and then the aftermath is 12, you know, like, yeah. which was like for Bojack where, where he was going for some emotional, yeah. you know, devastation. Um, and I always thought that was so clever uh, because I would only be thinking, well, a finale is a finale. So therefore that's the, fi-, you know, yeah. and like, no, 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 <laughs> you know, if you're really making an album, you know, you got to have that room for the come down. It's so funny, you know, and I don't know if my two partners, uh, realize this, but most of the way that I plotted Fairfax in my head was like, according to just like network television like truly i saw that dance episode at the end of season two i'm like that's the finale like yeah we're gonna do a fucking crazy civil war thing Mm -hmm. but that was like dessert Mm -hmm. on of on what was actually the the clincher of the season is like are we ever going to be friends again Mm -hmm. like the rest of it of like fashion war which fucking clothing company do you pick like who gives a shit right you know um and so i totally think Raphael is is you know episode 11 should be that like Uh like, like sopranos is very similar too where 12 is the aftermath of what happened in the penultimate you know, and like, what are we going to get next season? A little bit, a little taste. Yeah. 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 Um, so I mean, you know, but, but, but 12 is, is when you have 12 empty spaces, there's enough sweat on your neck that, that, you know, that you get right to it, but it's not the one that kills you. It's not the one. And, and I also, those shows, I, the, the big wolf on campus pace was before I was married before, you know, before I had a girlfriend. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, like my, I didn't have anything other than that. And the the few writers that I had, I had some incredible ones that were there, um, and I would keep them there until ten. Wow! Like you know, if we stayed till ten, almost, and I never even, I, I never thought about well, does any, does somebody want to go home? I mean, yeah. there's still more shit to do. Like yeah. you know, I wasn't thinking about quality of life, and that was what that, that was something I really needed to when I came back and I had a period of where I was selling pilots and and I had some, you know, some some good, exciting things happening, never quite, you know, getting all the way there, but always people wanted to work with me again. So I had a, a good period of doing that, but I knew that I was going to be in trouble in a certain sense when my good pilot would be up against Levitan's pilot with, I remember it was one year where they're like, it's, it's, they're, they're submitting you with, with, um, that back to you. And it was, you know, Lloyd and Levitan and Patricia Heaton attached and Kelsey Grammer attached. And you're like, there's no chance. I mean, like there's no executive in the world. That's like, well, what about this one that we can take a chance on and then yeah. go through the casting process on, yeah. you know, like it's, it, I just was like, I got to get into the, you can't really, you, you, you have like a roulette chip, you, a chip on the roulette table, unless you've, unless you come, you know, I, that was when I, I said, I really want to staff. And then I started doing, you know, 1600 pen and enlisted in Bojack. And that kind of started that, that period. But that was a, that was about, I, I just am going to lose the foot race every time to somebody that, that is the known entity that has worked with, been at the table reads and, you know, like, you know, sort of, you know, yeah. interface with the executives and, and had that kind of, as a, not just as a guy that can write a good script yeah. every now and then, but like a, a producer that can put the, you know, the, the script through the, pro, through the paces. Yeah. I feel like my take on like selling network pilots these days, at least it was like the net, it's free money, like in a way. The networks are going to buy 15 to 25. Each, mm-hmm. each network is going to buy 15 to 25 pitches mm-hmm. and have them, these people write scripts. They'll pick five of them to pilot and then one or two of them to actually put on television. Mm-hmm. But like, and I every be, 10 I, years a hit. I can, yeah, I can be one of those passes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I can, yeah. like that's truly how I saw it. And you know, what's so interesting, the reason I bring it up is because this year was the first time I pitched a network show that didn't sell. And I'm, I guarantee in my brain, because I didn't have some huge fucking producer who could be like, I'm going to quality control this or like, Mm -hmm. or I have a pre-existing relationship with the network wherein they need to buy this or it looks bad. Uh And that's why I think we didn't sell this, this pitch we just took out. It was the first time I've pitched a show in years that I didn't sell. I was like, what the fuck? But like, I understand now it's like business is constricting or contract constricting contracting. What would you use both of them? I would say it. I would say contracting contracting, <laughs> but I'd spell it contracting. Right. <laughs> uh, 
but I, I totally agree with you. You need the, I, this one is from Lloyd and Levitan with Patricia Heaton to like, yeah, I mean, what, at least a network for sure. Like how know? on earth could you win that Derby? You know, like how would your script have to be like, hold on a second. I want everybody in here to read this script is so good that the two stars of the two biggest, sh- you know, like, yeah. So you, you know, that, that that's, and uh, I mean, you know, and obviously Lloyd and Levitan, no slouches and incredible writers, but um, the, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's, I, I don't find, I don't find it easy. <laughs> no, know? not like, at all. It's never been easy. That's the, th- like, my wife reminds me when I'm like getting upset and I'm frustrated and overwhelmed or she's like, dude, it's, if it were easy, everyone would do what you fucking do. And you know what? Like when you do, when it does work, you win the lottery mm-hmm. for like a year and a half. Yeah. So like, yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. And I try, I try to remember that, but it's just, it is so soul crushing and heartbreaking and you need to have such thick skin and like, you know, this is actually the second episode of this podcast because the first is me talking about a little bit about uh, like an intro on me and my journey. And what I say is like, you know, I have like three good days a year as a, uh-huh. as a, as a writer, yeah. three exhilarating days a year. Uh-huh. Uh, the rest of them are God awful because like it's soul crushing work. And like, I wish it were 10 years ago where I could be working, uh, you know, around the year in a writer's room full of fun, yeah. like-minded people. But like, it isn't like that. And you have to generate your own material and it's impossible now. It truly is like, there was some, crazy. some mainstream magazine article mentioned I think they were talking about the news radio writer's room and it was just the idea of Chinese food containers strewn on mm. the thing at 1 a.m. And I think that the, the, the point of that detail in the article was like, danger, this is a terrible place to be. And all I ever thought was, this is the coolest. Like, that's, that's the only, and I definitely will, I definitely will pay, the, the, pay the price in terms of the, you know, the, the instability and, yeah. uh, and what you need in terms of self, self-esteem, Hey, working on anything good. No, getting rejected like crazy. How about you? You know, like you just kind of want to have good things to say. And that's brutal when you, when you have, when you carry so much of that, but when you get, like, I look back at my happy times in my career and they're not the ones where I was sweating over a script, yeah. which, which I also kind of in a, in a perverted way, enjoy sometimes when you're really in the, in the, in the fire. But when you're going like, Oh, you know what? It, like that little thing that, that when everybody's handling and it just sort of feels like a double play when somebody says something that inspires somebody else that kicks somebody else to go, Oh, you know, what if, what if that, and you go from the, the casual conversation into the nuts and bolts and you know what, and you have the first time that that scene was born and it just came off of that double play and went right to the board. Yeah. And that those feelings are like, why people solve puzzles it's why people you know do crossword puzzles and yeah. i mean it's like you you're solving for the thing and and you you don't have confirmation that you've got it but you've got that thing in your gut where you're like that's funny yeah like that's something works about that that's funny that stays up on the board and then becomes part of the thing speaking of uh being part of the thing i think what so many people uh would want to hear about and are interested about is um your start and your experience working on Bojack because it's so beloved. And like when I, you know, Mike Salazar, my buddy of all the people I've ever talked about or like t- introduced him to like you are what he always like, how's my man, Peter? Like, <laughs> like it's because like that show is so beloved truly in like a, in a way where yeah. it's such rarefied air. So I wanted to just ask you like, what was a, what was that interview process like? And, and, and how did you like, you know, that first few years where you didn't know you were working on BoJack. Well, so I remember getting sent that the, they had a, uh, a presentation that was, it was, it was pretty far along. Uh, there was no peanut butter in it, but it was BoJack on Charlie Rose. It's some of the things that end up in, in the pilot. And, um, and I remember watching it. We're going to, to my mom's, I think it was for, for Thanksgiving or something. And so I was going to have to do the interview on zoom. It was my first like Zoom, you know, interview. You mean like Skype? Yeah, Skype. I think it was or AOL, not a um, iChat or Mm. whatever the yeah yeah. uh, But but, so I remember watching it on on my computer and going, "What the fuck? This this is great!" And I loved Will Arnett, and I'm and it was like the the art just killed me. I I, because there's so much that you like animation is something that it happens to be it happens to be the style of some of my favorite things ever, but I wouldn't even say I'm a huge animation fan. 
You, you know, so it's not like yeah. it's not like every piece of animation I'm just chugging. I it feel down. the same exact way. It's yeah. like I kind of like I, with a with a wave of my hand to most animated things, but then like no 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 no, no but but not the Simpsons. Yeah, you know, not King of the Hill, not yeah. not Beavis and Butthead, not Fairfax. Like those, that, that's the animation that I love. And, and, yeah. you know, and then even weirder stuff like Pingu and like kids shit, you know, yeah. that, I, that, but, but so it's really sort of a pass fail thing for me. And boy, it, looking at Bojack was just the hardest, like, yes, that's great. I mean, just the art of that and, and the conceit, you know, like a, the, the horse is the person on, you know, with the human body and, and all that. And then I met with Raphael and Steve, um, and Steve Cohen and um, Raphael Bob Waxberg, if I didn't say his, his full name, but the ledge. Ralph uh, Bob. Um, Bojack creator. Um, so, we had, so we had that meeting and it went well. And I would say like a lot of things, I wanted it. And this was on the, like over the internet. Your meeting. Yeah. I, and you I, left the meeting being like, you know, like these, for people out there, like you have these showrunner interviews that A, are incredibly hard to get. Yeah. And it feels like a lot of time they're just like a litmus test of like, do I want to spend fucking 14 hours mm. with this person for the rest of my uh, days? Um, so like, you know, what was it? What was the, like, how long did you guys talk? Or like, what did he they, ask you? They had read Barry American. Okay, great. And Barry American is a great way for me to talk about two of my big experiences, which was being in Montreal and being in, in Budapest on the two series that I made out of the country. Yeah. Um, and I kind of put it, you know, sort of synthesized that into that experience. And so it became a great, it, it was, especially because people read it and, and responded well to it. Yeah. That is the, like, hear that most of all. Like, yeah. if, you, if you have a piece of material that is so undeniable that your meeting begins with people wanting to, to where did that come from? What is that? That's a great sign. You yeah. know, that's a, that's a great yep. sign that you're, so, and, and it is also true to what I, I want to always, I want to live and die by the material that I could leave behind. If I got struck by lightning on the way to the meeting, they could still have a sense of, of, you know, what they were missing out on, you yeah. know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but so, so I did, so I, I had, I had the good fortune of having them connect to that and ask me a lot of stuff about it. And then I also, I think I had that, they talk about on uh, smartless, uh, sexy detachment or what's the sexy indifference. Mm. Um, and it wasn't that I had sexy indifference, but I was just coming off of us. I'd just been on enlisted. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I, I wanted this, but I wasn't like going to crawl across glass to, to get it. So I just, I, I was kind of like, I think, I think I can help you. I, I think this is, you know, and they, they called back my agent right away and, and it was, you know, it was pretty quick. They, they said they wow. wanted to do. And there was another show at the- It was st- quick, huh? Yeah, it was pretty that, quick. It, that's the other piece of advice, you know, and it's so funny- Aaron is the one who's always like, if you don't hear back from them, the, the longer it takes to hear back, the worse chance of them engaging with you. One example was Sweet Valley High. We had the meeting and then found out we got it a month later. I oh, think, really? Yeah, because Abby, I think, was getting married. The, Abby Charette, the showrunner, was getting married. And we met with her before that. And I don't think we were quite attuned to that. Yeah. And I also think we weren't desperate to get that. Yeah. But then they're like, hey, that's Sweet Valley High. Like, oh, really? Cool. Yeah, Undateable was like that, too. I interviewed. And then like a month and a half later, I got Crazy, email, like, but- show up on Monday. I was like, huh? I think it does tend to go, it does tend to go quickly. And that was also a moment where there was a, there was another show that, that went on to, to do a couple of seasons, two, two or three seasons, I think on Comedy Central that was looking for a showrunner at that point. And I had a meeting with them and this was a rare moment. It has not happened often. There were two offers that that were there at the same time. You chose right. And one was very clearly to be the showrunner. Uh, and the other was not very clear what my relationship with Raphael was going to be. The money was going to be less, but it was still very good. I was very happy with my deals at every point. Uh, Rick Jeno uh, on the team uh, and Matt, Michael Lasker, of course, that was a shouts, shouts to mosaic. And where's the, who's the other fellow with the name, the name of the firm has changed a few times, but it's it, Rick Jeno. Rick um, Jeno. Excellent. A deal. We love, pointing. We we love, love Rick. it. We love it. We love Lasker. Uh, Beautiful silver tongue to match his silver hair. <laughs> so so that was, I, so, you know, Bojack was great in that sense, but, but I knew that one would have sort of more responsibility, but I just kind of felt like it was so clear in my gut. I watched one in an airport and freaked out before I got on a plane and went, what is that? Like, I wanted to know more. And the other one was, was, was it sort of, it would, the, the look that I said when I kind of like passed with a sweep, yeah. it's not that it wasn't competent. Of course it was competent. It looked good. It was bright. It had all the things, but it just didn't have that thing that, 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 that pulled me in. And I, it was one of the first cases of listening to my gut that, um, which I try to do a little bit more now when I just know I can't go into a situation. I just kind of go, 
I'm looking at it. I'm 51. I go, I'm not doing this situation. I'm not doing this thing. Yeah. I just know I'm not going to do it. And I, and I, I would say the beginning of it was the obvious, like, you're not going to take a showrunner job on a, on a thing that, that I really wasn't, I had no, I I just didn't care for. I was doing the same thing. Uh, and so then the, so then going in, uh, Raphael had been on, on a staff, he'd been on two staffs and he'd written a couple of, he was a playwright and, and, um, he'd had some really incredible, he wrote a, he, he wrote a, did you ever see his, um, I think he, I think he put it on Craigslist, a missed connection. Mm-mm. Look up his, look, I mean, do, do your Google Raphael Bob Waxberg's missed connection. And it's about sort of making eyes with someone on a subway. But, but then it's kind of like, it takes you through their whole life, Okay, you, you know, and it's just, this it was just this incredible piece and to place it in a missed connections, you know, like was at, at this, like this better than the New Yorker, yeah. you know, level of, of, you know, kind of an essay just to put it on misconnections is it sort of got That's awesome. Lots of people read it. I think that was one of the things that made him pop probably got him his, his staffing situations, his staff situations were, I think somewhat uh, chaotic and, and not the most, you know, beneficial to sort of setting best practices. And so I think that I was helpful in, in the early days where we didn't know, and we, we confirmed this on, on the, the DVD commentary of, of if, if that's that, if they ever released that, I think they did. Um, that I wasn't sure, like, was I, was I Raphael's number two or was Raphael, was, was I helping, was I sort of running and, you know, like, and so in, uh, on day one, I kind of like showed him like, look, this is what I like in an outline. Um, I, I read the material that they had. And I was like, okay, this episode, are we sure about that one? And what's our time frame? You know, I sort of got him thinking about the, the, when are these due? Okay. So we got to start, you know, get, get the schedule going little things like, you know, outlines and sort of breaking and, yeah. and insistence on three act structure and just a handful of those things that were sort of like for, for two days, I felt like I had my hand on his back and then instantaneously there was, he, he had it. He had the whole thing, every single piece that you need. He had it. And he also had great support from Steve. I'm sorry if it's getting hot in here, by the way, I can, yeah. I would, you should I get up to turn off the heat no, no, no. just a little bit. I'm going to do it no, anyway. No. I'm getting hot too. Oh, it's getting hot. It's the hot part of the pod. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Uh, so, so Raphael uh, really, you know, knew what he, and he wanted to do like something that I had never experienced. And I work with, with, uh, you know, an, an ace of a showrunner, Mike Royce. Um, who was great with stories, so funny, such a good, uh, one really, you know, had that attention, like cared about people's lives, was yeah. never going to keep people later than you needed to keep anybody, you know, and just, it was, it was sort of all, all good examples that Abby had set, but, but once I got into the fire, I sort of forgot about that. Yeah. And so seeing how Mike ran it, but, but, but one thing that Raphael did was that I, that Mike didn't do. Raphael had all of the sort of ability to, to manage people and make, make, make the room as, as pleasant as it could be. But he also would always have some crazy thing. Like, I think this, this episode is going to be a silent episode, you know? And you're like, what, <laughs> you know, like, that's like, crazy. Yeah. Uh, you, like I'm so used to thinking like, Oh my God, we've got all these episodes we've got to write. Like, why am I looking to make this more challenging? And, and the silent episode, and, and he would have these ideas at the beginning of the season. And, you know, sometimes we'd have a breakfast before the season started, like kind of just what, you know, what, what type is like, I think we're going to do a, a silent episode. Um, and, and I think we're going to go underwater. I think that's why it's going to be, and it might be a film festival. I think that's what we're going to do. You know, and then, then you kind of get there and you're like, we're going to the underwater film festival and the episode is silent. And, and then, you know, then he wanted to do the, the free churro episode. Uh, and that episode, the underwater film festival episode is written by, uh, Jordan and Elijah Aaron, Jordan Young and Elijah Aaron, and they, they crushed it. It's a great episode. It was the first episode that got us, I think, some maybe... Um, Emmy? It, no, we never did. We got an Emmy nom in right. season uh, six, I think. Yeah, you lost a big mouth. Hey, we can't all be winners. I know. But the, um, the, um, the, uh, th- that underwater episode was great. They did a great job with. Then in, in I think, in the sixth season... There's the free, ch- it might be the fifth, the free churro episode, which is, which is a monologue. Mm. 
You know, and I so, never saw that episode. I know that I saw the underwater one. I didn't see the. I, I think of myself as a TV writer. You know, like I'm yeah. kind of like come from the like yeah. I can. I mean, I could in a pinch. I could write you a Get Smart or a Kojak. <laughs> you yeah. know, like like I could do it. I know I could. But Raphael's a playwright, and playwrights are they they they're looking for different challenges. They they're looking for just the idea of this one's going to be a monologue. I, I'm thinking like, why would you, you know, <laughs> why are you making it harder? Yeah. It's just kind of like, I'm going to play tennis, but I'm not going to use my hands, you know? Yeah. And, and so he would just go, he would just fly into those challenges and they, they really excited him. And it was pretty amazing to see him go after it because it, it, how effective those episodes are, the ones that are really daring and that, that, you know, and, and he would have some prompt, like he knew that there was a mod episode that was that was a monologue and yeah. so he so we watched the mod episode you know but but it was it was just sort of this hardcore playwright mind at work um in in an episode like that in particular and he's also you know he's also funny as shit you know yeah um which is which is a pleasure not to uh to toot my own horn but you always do say one of your favorite rooms was the fairfax room oh, the reason the, the reason i ask you is like not why was our room good, but what makes a room to you, what makes a writer's room good versus eh, it was fine. You know, like, wh- like what, what really was, um, well, there's that, I think a lot of it comes from the top. And I think that part of what led to a, uh, such a good, a good feeling in the room, like, like forget, forget content aside. Um, there was a good feeling in both, in both years, even the zoom, the zoom season had, had it too. And I think that a lot of that is they're looking up and they're seeing the three of you guys, Matt, who's in front of me and Teddy and Aaron, you work together as one. I have not seen two people work as effectively as one together as the three of you did. And it, it like, you see the friendship and the show is about friendship. And here you have this friendship. And it's the kind of friendship for folks at home where they house gets shit on, you know, hard. And then he pushes back on Aaron and they all, they, they, they are great at busting each other's balls, but it is clearly loving. And it's the kind of banter that you would, you know, you, you would, you know, if you overheard it, you'd be like, fuck, I wish I had friends that I could, I could do that, you know, do that with. And, and so then, and I think they also knew that, that there was, that, that the directive was clear that I, that, that for instance, to compare it to a saboteur, they knew that I was not there to, yeah. you know, to, to like grab my, my trail of glory that was going to be a separate. And, you know, like I was, I was behind the, yeah. you know, the, like we're lifting this particular boulder up the hill. That's what we're going to do as a group. So I think it starts, you know, with that. And then I think, um, the people we found in the scripts, yeah, you know, like, like those, those were the people that showed up at the, you know, and got us what, what they got. Yeah. When you talked about earlier about, see, I forget what room you're talking about, but like the Chinese food on the tables and uh-huh. that's where you're like, I, this is where I want to be. The reason I would always say like, Oh, we're going to have a sleepover. Cause like, you know, sometimes you'd be together with people for so long that it's like, it, it I wanted it to feel like a fun sleepover. It's like, there's candy mm-hmm. and we're dicking around and you know, some of us may be getting out and going for a walk and smoking a dupe. If, oh we, if we get stuck, like it's the most fun you can have with uh, without breaking the law. And there is also something that is, I think, pretty sacred about a writer's room, that it, even if the group of people is not the group of people that you want to go and uh, go bowling with, that, you know, there's something about the magic of colleagues that you really respect so that, you know, you know you're getting from, you know, that, that person across the table. Like, I... <laughs> I, I love working with funny people that you can be like Laura Guten was, was such a killer on, and we did, we did three shows in, in a row and you would do a table read and then you would get her, her pitches in there. And they're just like, just like these bombs, just bombs. And, and the whole room goes up and that goes into the script. And you know, you, you have that feeling of like, I know her, like I I've gotten granola with her at the craft, you know? And you know, Kate Purdy's the same way. I mean, there, there's so many writers that I've worked with where I have that, that, that degree of like the collegial respect, like what they can do for this crazy process yeah. that is a, you know, that is people sitting around a table and imagining it's almost as if there's a Borg there. You know, it so happens that it, it's, it's, you know, you get to dry erase boards and 
and index cards and yes, you are organizing it, but in, in a real sense, you're just sort of like dreaming into the dream cloud of what this thing could be and people are throwing in what it could be. And that's where I want to be. That's, that's, I love being on the set. I love when you have a great actor who can, you know, they, they want another line and they, you know, you hit them with the wild line and they kill it. Like, that's amazing. But that's, that's more like, that, that's, that's not where I feel the most at home. I feel like, you know, I love working with a great director that you yeah. totally trust and a cast that you totally yeah. trust and you don't have, you don't feel like you have to be there to get the, the nuance of the thing that you need. So, you know, you let that process happen, but you, sometimes there, you do have to be there, but where I want to be and where I is the, is the like, what if we, you yeah. know, blank. Yeah. Those were the most fun. Uh, I mean, some of the best days I had were like being in writers' rooms, and that's all I'm trying to do is like, how do I get back to just like eating Starbursts and laughing like, yeah. with my best yeah. friends? Um, it, unfortunately, it takes making shows. <laughs> like, I know, like that's I know, uh, and I think I don't know. I mean, I know I don't know much about the state of of the biz, but the the thing that I that to anybody that really, if you know that you want to be a writer. And you, you're not like, I, I talk to different people that, that want help and, and advice or that kind of stuff. And, and I'm always happy to do it. Um, in some cases there are actors and writers, you know, and they, they, so that's a whole, that's like, okay, that's a half of that lane is one that I don't understand at all. And I couldn't give you any advice. And I don't know if you have to have a TikTok and a YouTube channel and a, yeah. you know, I don't know. I just, I just don't know that world. But the one thing that I, that I do feel like is if you know you want to be a writer, then don't ever be afraid to let the page, just what you can do, put it on, you know, get it into the script and don't just get your friends opinions, like, like get people who are going to, you know, really come at you with some, with some ideas. But if you have that bulletproof script, then, then it begins. Yeah. It doesn't begin until then. I know. I you know. know yeah, that's like the you know the story of the kid who wrote seven. Uh, do you know that story? No. Kid who wrote seven. Like, I, I I don't know the intricacies of it, but it's online where, you know, he wrote this thing and told a few people, and they're like, "Oh, great kid! Like, you wrote a fucking murder movie," and no one gave him the time of day. And somehow, uh, someone who like worked with David Fincher got his hands on it and mm -hmm. read it, and were like, "This is the fucking wildest." <laughs> what, a, what an amazing ending david you need to read this and within like a week period like you said it happened so quick it was like this kid had david fincher attached to a screenplay that was just set up and he was he was a, i think he was a fucking um like a goodwill hunting type like janitor or something like oh my th there's a there's a story there that i'm and not that kid's name i don't remember what is it i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> he was executed by the state <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know oh what a fate um, but Peter, I, I uh, wanted to thank you a for coming and, and being our first official guest. What a pleasure! And wrapping it down, and also thank you for being such a wonderful leader on Fairfax. Uh, I tell everybody, uh, you know, at some point if you do get the honor to like make a show, uh, and they tell you like, oh, you need someone to help you make this, like I, I hope you find someone as wonderful and collaborative as Peter, because so many people would do like my show and like peter was just a, a great coach and and the reason that show is great even though it's not celebrated the way it should be is yet. because peter yet i know it's gonna it's gonna have its moment it's it's, its it, moment. it will it will um and anybody if you are looking for writers and you're lazy and you're just in a pinch and you don't know who to hire just go to amazon <laughs> look at fairfax look at our writers there you will find people you should hire uh starting with these boys matt and his and and teddy and Aaron. Um, but uh it's an unheralded it's an it's a it's a hit but for having made contact what a show thanks peter thank you everyone this was uh episode one of right who you know i'm matt housefeder and we'll talk to you later let's cue that theme music i know right oh that's nice i like that <laughs> bouncy okay